Look, I know we did the last episode without a sketch, but we've got a genuine professional actor this time, and a stand-up comedian, and everybody loves a sketch, really. Do they? Hmm. Uh, an actor and a stand-up comedian? <laughs> You've really blown the budget this time, Richard. Well, not so much. As a card-carrying Yorkshireman, I hired Toby Haydock because he's both an actor and a comedian. And famously the nicest man in fandom. What? Even nicer than me? I'm not entirely sure about that. He's got some unusual writers in his contract. Oh, hello, Richard. I hope you got hold of the blue opal fruits that I specified. Well, well, about that, Toby. Yeah, it's Mr Haydock to you. Well, look, they've been Starburst for over 20 years. Yeah, never been nearly as good since. And I couldn't find any blue ones anywhere. Well, you didn't try hard enough. Anyway, my agent tells me that in addition to the story discussion, you've engaged me for a comic sketch. It's a bit of a tradition. Richard writes them. Yes, and uh, we have to pretend to find them amusing. What's that? I said they're all jolly amusing. Yeah, well, it better be. I've got my reputation to think about. You're playing the role of Guy Crayford, Toby. I- I've got you an eye patch. Whatever for? Well, I know how you professionals like a bit of method acting. Plus, the listeners will love it. An eye patch. On audio. Trust me, it'll be brilliant. Oh, for goodness sake. Give it here. What's my cue? He did nothing for you, Crayford. Absolutely nothing at all, except... <clears throat> except brainwash you. <laughs> That's not true! Yeah, try to keep it together, Paul. You were hijacked by Crayford. Nothing went wrong with your rocket, Crayford. You weren't even injured. Take off the eye patch and look for yourself. <laughs> what? What's supposed to be so funny? And and why are you all wearing eye patches? It's a homage to that anecdote about Inferno. <laughs> it's funny because we're all wearing eye patches. <laughs> I mean, I mean, one eye patch is funny, right? But I mean, multiple eye patches—they oh, just—they just get funnier. The more eye patches you throw into an anecdote, the funnier it gets. I mean, I'm not alone there, am I? Yeah, I'll say it again. On audio, look, trust me, I'm a comedian. I've had funnier hospitalizations. Anyway, that's a terrible anecdote. It wasn't funny then, and it isn't funny now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that probably could have gone better. There's only one thing to do now. Hit the theme tune. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed, that sketch, to make something who. First we'll look at fourth Doctor story, The Android Invasion, from season 13. We have a great lineup, headlined by our special guest, actor, stand-up comedian, writer, presenter, and podcaster, Toby Haydock. Hello, how are you? Hi, Toby, and welcome back to Something Who, but of course this is your first regular episode. Yes, well, th- thanks for having me. I have been, I've been trying to get fit, so I've been listening to you fellows on many a jog, and uh, it's <laughs> distracted me from the pain. Well, we've got to the end, so I suppose we have to discuss, we have to go back to, uh, to Crayford again, don't we? <laughs> and talk about the eye, the eye patch in the room. It is one of the silliest moments in the entire history of Doctor Who, and there's some stiff competition. 
But the idea that he's never washed his face, yeah. or just take it, the, the the listeners were were not privy to the hilarity with which this podcast <laughs> began. As I I started the Zoom call or whatever it is we're doing, it wasn't I was late because it's not a Zoom call; it's something else that I don't understand. But anyway, I had an eye patch on, and if you've got an eye, it's actually quite discombobulating and very uncomfortable, and I had to take it off fairly quickly because it's it's. Not an enjoyable... And also, you can tell you've got an eye. I'm sorry. If I wear a glove, it doesn't mean I've forgotten I've got hands. It's uh, it's ridiculous on every... And also, it's not even... It's, it's not that it's silly that he doesn't know he's got an eye under his eye patch. It's the whole convincing him that they've saved him by putting him back together because he's been... And losing his eye... That couldn't they have? Couldn't they have just mocked up a photograph of the pulling him out of a hedge or something? Yeah, anything. It seems to me like <laughs> like a lot of the Kral's plans. Yeah. It, it seems unnecessarily convoluted, and its flaws manifest to anybody that thinks about them for about a second. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I I think nation. I mean, there's a serious conversation to be had if you want to my my partner is somebody who campaigns to have more sort of disability representation on our screens yeah. and you could say terry nation has a, a wheelchair user in darling invasion of earth yeah. guy he likes eye patches he kind of likes that stuff and, and germanic names as well he likes stuff that's sort of cool from sort of war films and stuff be it you know somebody that's yeah got an injury or something like that. And, it, and it's all kind of window dressing to make and, and it is the sort of stuff that as a kid you would sort of go, oh yeah, he's got an eye patch, or he's got a scar, or he's he's, he's a wheelchair mm. user, which made it sort of seem somehow more grown uppy and boys only. It's sort of it's it's the it's the kind of furniture of the of the adventure story that is interesting to look at now through a, a modern lens. I, you know, I don't get offended by it or or anything. I get more offended by the fact that it's just really stupid. But I think it's I think it's you know, there is there is an interesting grown up conversation to, to be had about it if one if one wanted to. It's annoying that it's so thoroughly botched because the basic idea that the Kraals would do something so unethical just to um to win him over psychologically to hmm. to their point of view is is a good is a nice idea. And if it had been done well, and there are a thousand ways of doing it properly, then it could have been a really powerful moment. But the thing is, I mean, every, everyone at the, at the Space Centre, though, is cut from the same cloth as Crayford because he reappears two years after they lost him and they're delighted to see him. They don't notice he's got an eye patch. They don't comment on it. They don't say... Well, no, they, they, might, <laughs> they might have had training for that you okay. know, to, not, to not be shocked. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> they've had somebody come in and give them a talk yeah, yeah. about how, how not to Sensitivity dis- training. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't display your ableist bias. If you if you are reunited with a long lost crew member, he's got a bit missing. <laughs> splendid, splendid. Uh, about three decades too early. But but the yeah. other, but the other thing that that is, I mean, did he have food and water for two years? I mean, did, you know, did did they give him all that stuff just in case you get lost for a couple of years? We we've got plenty of air, we've got plenty of food, we've got plenty of water. Don't worry about it, guy. You'll be fine. Because uh, because mm. basically, as far as Sarah says in episode one, well, he disappeared and, and they've, they've they've given him up for lost. So um, and then he comes back and it's like oh yeah hi guy great to see you again you know and, and petrol for his rocket <laughs> indeed mm. if yeah. this had been Malcolm Hulk it'd have been gone it'd have gone through some sort of psychological torture 
proper brainwashing to convince him of all of that. He, they would have actually had him in a cell mm. for two years, convincing him that he was surviving on right. licking the condensation off the walls. Yeah, and yes. it, it have also had ambassadors of death stuff. It have yeah. also had some some really good scenes that were only in the Target novel. <laughs> <laughs> and a and a middle name. Yeah, yeah. Used to do. Well, there we go. Yeah. But Stigron, Stig, we haven't actually talked about what we think of the Kraals. Yeah. Uh, who that, are, I think that's quite telling. Oh, <laughs> I, quite li- I quite like you... them. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they, they don't just, you know, there's a lot of men in green suits with masks yeah. in Doctor Who, but at least they've sort of gone for some kind of the, the sort of gnarled, hunchbacky thing. They've, they've thought about their, mm. their body shape as well as the different face, which I quite like. Mm. Because, you know, we're all we've all seen loads of series where you know people have got bumpy faces but that's about it hmm. uh, so I, I like the fact that they've that they've got that sort of element to them i mean it's it a... uh, it's it's not roy skelton's fault zippy became famous um, <laughs> and, 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 and marshall chidaki is uh is is and, uh, and i like stigron's death scene you know where he does a little bit of a backflip and then lands in the <laughs> in in the plague that clearly doesn't spread very far no. because it, it, it kills him and then runs out. Yeah, so that could they were gonna, yeah, they were going to have to. Everyone was have to get very very close to each other to pass that one on. But uh, it's still you know the green well, I, six feet. It's it's a nice it's a nice little for, for your climax. You know, it's a nice it's a nice sort of stunt and bit of goo just yeah. to give it a bit of uh, seeing as everything else takes place off screen. Is everyone here? Giles, Gav, Ellie. Where's Paul? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we should go and look for him. No, Paul told us to wait for him here. All right, take it away, Ellie. Okay, well, as you can see, we're smack in the middle of something who bunker about to record a podcast. I can understand that part of it all right, but can't you explain the wider issues, Ellie? Yes, all right. Gav, would you mind drawing the curtains? Sure. Already? Slide one. Tell me, who's that? Uh, Radio Free Scarrow, isn't it? Top of the class, Giles, top of the class. Here's another. Oh, 42 to Doomsday. Thank you very much, Richard. And our old friend? The Missing Episodes podcast. Actually, where is Paul? Hmm, perhaps we should check on him. No, no, Paul told us we should stay here. Look, Ellie... Are you going to show us podcast cover art all night? Tell me what they have in common and I might stop. Well, they're all Doctor Who podcasts. Almost right, Giles. They're Doctor Who podcasts that people have actually heard of. Yes. Unlike this one. Look, I agreed to join you for this episode, but what's the point if no one's listening? Richard, more promotional effort. Gav, funnier anecdotes. Giles, better science. Let's make this an episode to remember. Where's Paul got to? Oh, it's too late. Let's get cracking. We have, as our special guest, cosplayer and Who fan about town, Ellie, also known as TARDIS Monkey. Hello. Yeah, go on, Ellie. Where where, where did you come across the demons? It was actually one of the very first episodes I remember watching when I was a kid, and my granddad had recorded it off of UK Gold, 
and I remember it being in black and white as mm. well. So mm. it was it was funny sort of uh I didn't watch it in colour until the DVD came out, so I just remember it always in black and white, which I think gives it more atmospheric look to it anyway. Mm. But yeah, that was that was like my original place that I saw it, so good old VHS tape, you know, kind of thing. The doctor springs into action at the start of the story, like he knows what's going on. Mm, he does. Yes. Mm. And there's no kind of backstory to that he he rushes off to the dig as if he knows the world's going to end if that mound's opened mm. up but mm. do we assume that he's aware of the demons being on earth 100,000 years ago well he seems to be aware of the demons yes that's true mm. yeah because he, he knows who they are because he's you know that line where he's like the demons from the planet Deimos kind of yeah. thing yeah so. and then Joe chips in presumably as she's been fully briefed in a scene that we're not privy to because she knows how many light years away Deimos is. Oh. <laughs> she just no, goes, yes, Deimos is 60,000 light years away. Oh, yeah. I guess that was a whole off-screen explanation. Okay. M- must have been. Yeah, I mean, the, the Doctor has been to 100,000 BC. In, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. So, so, so maybe, came, I mean, you know, obviously it was off-screen. We didn't see it during mm. um, An Unearthly Child or whatever we're calling that. But, you know, uh, maybe he maybe went back to 100,000 BC just to see how they were getting on and tripped over... Um, as all at that point. <laughs> and his wrinkled stockings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bless There him. are a few moments where it, it slides into... What are those? Into, speaking yeah. of Azal's scale, uh, something I noticed today that I'd always thought was a, a continuity issue or a production error before. The hoof prints seen from the helicopter oh, are that, enormous. That always mm. annoys me, that bit, yeah. And then when they go on the ground, they're much smaller. But apparently that's intentional the idea was that azal was shrinking as he walked mm-hmm. and gets smaller and smaller and smaller as he finally gets uh, to the crypt which is how he's big enough to get through the door of the crypt yeah. because uh-huh. apparently right. there was a production shot intended that would have shown the footprints from the air decreasing in size uh-huh. but you don't get that you just get big right. ones from the air and then smaller ones on the ground so it just looks like an awful error but apparently not yeah. And in fact, even the heat shield thing in the Brigadier with his swagger stick or whatever it is, isn't, isn't a bad bit of, um, you know, considering the budget great of effect. Doctor Who, it seems to work pretty mm. well. Yeah. 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 And chucking the, uh, chucking the rocks and the sticks and them exploding, it's yeah. all very neatly That's, done. Yeah, it's a really cool visual effect. I thought yeah. it was really effective. Even now, I still don't know how they did it. It's like, really mm. cool. <laughs> I can tell you, it's very boring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gav, you can be the boring one. They had a spring-loaded charge inside the prop with a nylon thread attached to a little piece that kept two electric contacts apart. Mm. So when they threw the prop that contained the explosive, the nylon string attached to the prop pulled tight, basically pulled the pin out as if it was a grenade, which allowed the uh, detonator inside to make Mm. contact and it set the explosive off in the prop midair. Which is why, if you watch Nick Courtney picking that stick up incredibly gingerly, <laughs> because he knows it could well go off in his hand. <laughs> okay. But I always thought noticed, that was just but... careful camera placement, and yeah. he threw the stick off screen at mm. the moment it was detonated. Somebody just it's... throws a smoke bomb kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Apparently, it's Clever. all practically done. Clever stuff, ingenious. Mm. Very, very groovy civvies that Benton and Yates are wearing. 
finally out of uniform. Oh, for the first very time. much so. Oh no, it's it's weird seeing them in civilian clothes. I, I still I go, oh no, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Barry Letts wanting to show sort of the private lives of the unit team, yeah. which is why we get the brigadier in bed, and there was a. Yeah. There was a potential to have his wife in shot. She was going to be Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart handing him the phone, but that was vetoed. We worked hard. I, I was part of the team, or I headed the team, that did some of the clean-up for the Blu-ray. Yeah. And ah. the, the Benton's trousers were the most problematic yeah. thing of the entire... Because <laughs> that, particularly when they, when they land on the lawn, they get out of the helicopter, and the red of his trousers bled into the green of the grass oh, for about no. two feet to the right. Wow. So we had Kieran Hyman, Rich Tipple, and Anthony Lamb, and I forget which of them worked on Benton's trousers. Mm. Poor chap. But, uh, but yeah, the civvies, the colour of those civvies... It's an unforgiving task. ...caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. But yeah, it uh, looks which brings me to, to Benton and Yates apparently watching a live rugby match yeah. at, at Almost midnight. midnight. At midnight. Mm. Where's that happening? Unless it's recorded, in which case one of them has been quite savvy in getting the other one to bet on the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't have That's the internet true. in those days, mind you. They did have no, newspapers. They did have newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the, wasn't the Bronze Age. Yeah, that's true. More yeah. to the point is they had a video recorder, weren't they recording Space Pirates a few months earlier? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so a science nerd thing. Uh, they they dress up all this. I'm not as hung up on my Doctor Who having to be sciencey as Gav is, but it slightly it does slightly wrinkle with me, you know, or rankle rather when they they shoot for something and then they miss it. They try and make something sound very sciencey and then and you think, oh, that's clever, that's a really good idea, and then they botch it. And um, the whole thing with E equals MC squared, and that explaining the releases and exchanges of heat and so on. And yet they've just set up in the second episode that the that the spaceship, despite having shrunk in size, weighs exactly as much <laughs> as it did. So oh, it's still yeah. got the same. It's still got the same mass. Right. So yeah, there's yeah. no yeah. Um, pick it up because it's seven hundred and fifty tons. Yes. Good point. Mm. So, yeah. um, so it's yeah. slightly. I thought, hang on. Also, if they were losing that amount of mass, has anyone worked mm. out C C squared is a hell of a lot of E, isn't it? Hmm, true. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... Probably, probably where blow, is it blow up the earth. Sorry, go on. Where is it coming from? Which bits of Azal is is he losing? <laughs> is it every other every other atom? <laughs> or does he have five legs mm. when he's full size? <laughs> it's it's the same thing as with the giant robot. It just Everything gets bigger, everything gets smaller. But then you're not losing mass. Mm. Yeah. Because you could shrink the gaps between the atoms, couldn't you? Well. And then, and then, but then you would have no energy release. Mm. Yeah, well. So Ellie, Gav was saying that you were involved in some filming in, in Oldbourne, was it? Yes. Right. Yes, mm. for the Blu-ray box set, The Devil's Weekend. It, and, and I mean, it still looked surprisingly similar, as I recall from watching that extra. Oh, it's like going in a time machine. I mean, you literally—it's like walking onto a set. Like the the whole village just hasn't changed in the slightest. All the buildings are the same. I mean, even the people—you know—the villagers that were sort of tiny dots that you see on the um, 
old films and stuff like the behind the scenes they're now adults and you know they uh, they got kids and everything they're sort of like a real sort of like close-knit community kind of thing but it's really lovely to go and visit because it you know everything's the same so you're like oh i remember that's the bit where he says five rounds rapid and then like 30 minutes up from the village is where devil's mounds are and stuff like that so you can go and visit that it's, it's not a bad walk actually and yeah it's just sort of like eerily calm up there as well because i remember when we were filming we were chasing the rain like the rain always kept going opposite to us which was just like really really fortunate but i just remember sort of like we were looking over and we could see the rain coming down and a rainbow just appeared and i just remember like me and katie and everybody just looking over each other like that's john over there that's john pertwee (laughs) looking at us at the moment and it was, it was just like a really, really lovely time, super busy, sort of just trying to get everything filmed and stuff. But there's so many good stories from like the villagers and that, they still got pictures, they've still got autographs of them at the time. Like we, there was one person who had uh, Roger Delgado's uh, signature and stuff and he was showing me photos. So yeah, it was just a nice little community that I think are really appreciative of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. It just never has left them. And I mean, they even even got like Dalek bins and TARDIS bins <laughs> and stuff like that. And the Cloven Hoof sign still sort of outside the pub and, you know, you can go and have a meal and whatever. So yeah, it was wonderful, like really sort of good experience. And it's funny because this was the first time I'd ever been up there. And I only live sort of like half an hour, 40 minutes away. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a good enough excuse to sort of like have Katie Manning take you in your arms, showing you around and stuff, which was just so lovely. I mean, I, I just adore her so much. Mm. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was lovely. Oh. Was it a single day? Two days. Two days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, no, I didn't because I lived just sort of down you the road. I, I did. I was like, I was the runner. So I did all the supply runs. I got all the snacks and the drinks and all that kind of stuff ready for them because it was cold. It was absolutely freezing. And uh, I mean, climbing the, the church tower because of COVID and everything, we had to be sort of really careful on how many people did certain things. And we all had to keep mm-hmm. our distance. So you probably see it in the documentary, like we're all spaced apart and stuff. But, you know, everything felt safe and... Yeah, and the the drone shots of like Oldborn sort of round the the church and everything was just stunning. It's a shame that they never actually filmed in the church itself for the episode because it's like mm-hmm. stunning inside. But I think it was something to do with the um the vicar just didn't want them in there at the time. Right. But I think the vicar now, like lovely lady, was just like, yeah, if they ever came back and they you know come straight in mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, if if anybody gets a chance, I would like highly recommend it because it is just walking onto a Doctor Who set. And finally, a newcomer to Something Who, but very well known, I'm sure, to our listeners, graphic designer and illustrator, Anthony Lamb. Hello, good to see you. Attack of the Cybermen from... Bands uh, over, definitely. Yeah, by Paula Moore, the famous writer. Who and he? She's in my top ten favourite classic female Doctor Who writers. <laughs> very good. Uh, and directed by Matthew Robinson. So yeah, I mean, I, I suppose to set the scene... It's January 1985. I'm about to start the second term at sixth form. I'm a fully paid-up DWAS member. I'm looking forward to a story that's revisiting what we all know is the greatest Doctor Who story ever made, Tomb of the Cybermen. 
even though no one in the UK has seen it since 1967, which means <laughs> I haven't seen it at all. And also, because it's the era of VHS, at least in our household, it's a story I've watched many times, but probably not in the last 30 years. <laughs> so I guess that's how I came across Attack of the Cybermen. What about the rest of you? I got this in that brief period of time when I had access to a special man and if I whispered magic words or sent him a, a, a check in the post, I would get bootleg Doctor Who VHSs. Right. So that's how I first saw Attack of the Sidemen relatively recently in the grand scheme of things, about 96, 97. Yeah, so you're jumping over the VHS release. It came in a tin with, I think, the 10th planet. Oh, yeah. I remember oh, the planet in a tin. Tasting down. Or something. That's that's how I first saw it. I was uh, I was four years old or something when it was transmitted, mm. not yet able to use the television, or indeed know what was going on. So I didn't see it until the VHS box set. Yeah, and I thought it was somewhat acceptable. It was two thousand for the VHS and two thousand and nine for the DVD. Yeah, this would have been one. I I probably also I think I joined the Dwas in between. 84 and 85, so I give my celestial toy rooms through the post. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember whether, I give, did we know that this was going to be, was this hyped as being a, a sequel to Tomb? Yeah, well, I think time? so. I can't really, I guess it probably would have been. Um, it, it, certainly that's in my head anyway, that, that it was, mm. it, may, it might have been uh, even mentioned in Doctor Who Monthly or something like that. Mm. Yeah, this is pre-VHS for me, so it was probably something I listened to for ages on my home tape C90 cassettes before it got chewed up inevitably by by the um, by the tape recorder gods. Dog. Always a sad day when that happens. <laughs> it's just yes. why we weren't relying on those audio recordings, Giles. Yeah, <laughs> frankly. <if I'd> been... <laughs> yes, yeah. That would have been the Graham Strong of my day. Yeah. Mm. With a hexagonal pencil. You know, we just had to have a... You had to have, mm. had to have one with a hexagonal barrel in order to uh, <laughs> engage with the cogs on the old cassette. Yeah. yeah. Also, your little your little finger is also oh, quite yes. useful. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got a really bizarrely strong memory of just ratcheting the little yeah. cog in there. Yeah, it's yeah. Muscle memory is is doing it now. <laughs> it's like, I can feel it. Mm. We have a great lineup, headed up by our special guest, former DWM editor Gary Gillett. Uh, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about Delta and the Bannermen. I'm fascinated by their their date in the countryside, uh, but before we get to that, I think we need to tackle the matter of the baby <laughs> that, <laughs> that they take. That's a bold <laughs> choice. It really all. <laughs> falls down oh and, and, and someone mm. and also but it's all been thought about so well as well because because they plan that baby grow because it has the same hexagonal mm. bee pattern that the grown-up costumes have so someone was given that job in a few weeks to sort of knit that <laughs> mm. uh, and so they, they 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 went in fully planning to do it that that way but you can't it, it's one of those kind of elephant in the room kind of decisions you know that you can't ever square you can't ever let anyone see it who might know you for fear <laughs> they'll hold it against you they'll hold it against you personally 
you know, it's it's a real it, it's really like don't come in now, mum. <laughs> that baby. <isn't> it? <laughs> it strikes me that could have been very sinister. Um, I've only just re- remembered Royal Jelly, the uh, Tales of the Unexpected. Episode. Oh yes. So you know, in the original. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say the dark version of this. The the version with this was as serious as Dragonfire. Hmm. That could have been very um, very worrying. It's just worrying in a different way, isn't it? What we actually get. The the, the story's desperately trying to be fun and funny. I, I don't mean to put a damper on it, but I generally don't find it either. But a jump cut to a green baby is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. And I'd completely forgotten it was coming. And it absolutely killed me. And I and I missed about five minutes of this. I had to rewind it because it, it made me laugh so much. I had a coughing fit. And I had to rewind it and rewatch. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yes. Yeah. I want to rewatch it right now. And Billy's feelings for Delta only deepen at this point. <laughs> Obviously, he's fancied her across the dance floor, as many a, a man has. Mm. And, and often they find out that they have a child and maybe that, that changes his view about if he's going to make his move. He doesn't come in and see this particular child. But really, at that moment, that's when the, the real love's arrow hits him somehow. Mm. And then they go on that weird date in the countryside. Mm. And he is just too into it. She's she's Mm. saying stuff like, if I can get the hatchling to the brood planet, I can take the case to judgment, (laughs) which is quite a line. There's a lot going on there from hatchling to a a tribunal of some kind, just in one line. And he's just, well, anything I can do, uh, just tell me, Delta. (laughs) Like, she's asked him to get the car seat ready for a trip to Quicksave. (laughs) (laughs) And then later, she shows him the, the royal the compound which is in in blister pack so it's obviously like like it's available on prescription on shimmer <laughs> and she's got the last few and he <laughs> sort of eyes it up and and it's just slightly badly edited it stays on him a bit too long so he looks really weird <laughs> and, as, as he looks down at it and then takes it and puts it in his jacket or something doesn't he mm. and then later she says <laughs> it's my favorite it's the bathos of it you haven't been eating that have you <laughs> i had to delta <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been eating that. I had to. I wanted to start buzzing like like um, <laughs> Timothy West until the unexpected. Yeah, and that's the thing. It is all quite sinister. I'm not sure quite what's. Yeah, you can definitely put a very sinister spin on what's going on with with. Uh, try. Yeah. Chris Clough keeps it light though. Hmm. Yes. That's the last of me magnetic disk space gone. Rubbishy newfangled editing programs. Hang on, me microphone's on the blink. Ah, that's better. This is Missing Episodes podcast calling Something Who. Something Who, can you hear me? Something Who here? I can hear you, Missing Episodes. Go away. What? Now listen, this is Tim Burrows, commander of the TV Reviews Podcast Division. Give me your Apple Podcasts identity registration. Oh, come on, Commander. I lost that thing about 30 years ago. Why don't you go about your business and leave me alone? Here's his Dwass registration, Tim. He's a real old timer. He's been a card-carrying fan for about 40 years. Richard Smith. I might have known. You know him, Tim? Of him? Out on Gallifrey Base, where I did my first tour, he popped up from time to time. 
Have you ever run across any of these old-timers? Well, not from the dark times. They think they're a law unto themselves. They don't like us either. Why? Well, these old-time fans like Richard were some of the first to go out into deep fandom. For a time, they had the place to themselves, going to conventions and comic marts, writing the fanzines, stamping each other's addressed envelopes. They're a wild breed, Paul, and they learn to live without a concept of canon. And then the internet came along and anyone could be a fan, right? Yes, even these two. Oi, I've been a fan forever. How come we don't get proper parts in this sketch? Doesn't bother me. Gives us more time to chat about the James Webb Space Telescope. And with me to demonstrate that they know their R's from their elbows, <laughs> we have Paul. Hmm. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hi. And special guest, Tim. Ah! <laughs> and also joining us, we have science and astronomy writer, Giles. Is it ham night yet? <laughs> and we have graphic designer and Dalek expert, Gav. Happy New Year! <laughs> Hooray. Hey. Curse of the Black Spot, written by Stephen Thompson and directed by Jeremy Webb. Well, look, at the time, <laughs> I was quietly pleased with, especially, well, the first half, superficially, because it came after some very complicated moffeting. Oh, that's yeah. true. Mm. You know, you had Day of the Moon and you had the Season 5 Tardisy, Wildisy stuff. And I, I loved the idea of a pirate ship and yeah. piratey stuff and the want to cash in on Pirates of the Caribbean, not least with the episode title. And I thought, that oh gosh, this is a good move. But ultimately, you don't get Jack Sparrow <laughs> and you don't get Jeffrey Rush. You certainly don't get Robert Newton. <laughs> <laughs> and earlier I looked up on pirates.com the list of people least suitable to play King of the Pirates. Right. <laughs> and the only name on the list was Hugh Bonneville. That bloke out of Downton Abbey. <laughs> Make the, the, sure. The, the, the bloke off 2012. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he's just the least piratey wirety bloke since Moses, isn't he? And, and the only piratey wirety bloke in the thing was the guy out of Press Gang. And he was only, he only had about three lines. <laughs> was he the guy who disappeared halfway through? Yeah. Do we think that um, Hugh Bonneville is playing it as written? Because that would then shift the blame somewhere else and we could say, should the King <laughs> of the Pirates have been written this way? A decent chunk of his story seems to be leaning towards the idea that he's a decent chap with a wife and family <laughs> who's accidentally yeah. turned to piracy, which is undermined by his scurrilous friend saying I've seen him kill a thousand innocent people yes. dead which and you is think, never hmm. followed up on he, he hasn't though has he he's, go, he's go given to him ask a cuddle Jeeves and said sorry and look up Henry Avery or Henry Avery yeah. and, and tell me whether he's a nice guy and surely if I can do that then does he look like a, a, a malodorous 
knave. Yeah, but, but I mean, let's let's think about it. I mean, essentially, anyone who's in the Royal Navy at that point is going to be a you know probably a pretty scurrilous character anyway, <laughs> because you, you know they're, they're they're all at various degrees of piracy. It just depends whether it's state sponsored or not. <laughs> so, True, so, yeah. so, so to, to suggest that, that there's a real change of, I mean, you know, you yes, there that. is. Go on. You've thrown it in there as a gag, but that would have been a much more interesting story if they'd actually written something that explored the... Well, I mean, even the later part of the Caribbean yeah. films went down that route, didn't they? Tom Tom Holland. Yes. Not Tom yeah. Holland, Tom Hollander. My mistake. Mm. Have you seen Taboo? <laughs> Taboo is brilliant. I highly recommend it. And that is all about legalised piracy. Mm. But anyway, yes, carry on. Yeah, so 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 I guess in that sense, this the, you know this this story of the of the deeply honourable guy who works for the Royal Navy suddenly turning into the sort of terrible nasty piratey. It's a bit like like uh, in Blackadder when Melcher is talking about British and German spies, isn't it? You know, and one of the jolly decent chaps on our side, and the other terribly evil, you know, spineless, cowardly chaps. You know, fighting their yeah. filthy Hun war. Yeah, one of our number made a. Uh, uh, an amazing observation in an off-air moment about the backwards construction of Eve of the Daleks. Tim pointed out that it suggested that the format of that episode worked backwards from this episode is going to culminate with a fireworks display. <laughs> How do we get there? Yeah. And, and I think that um, Curse of the Black Spot suffers horribly from the same tail wagging the dog. I mean, this is... How can we have a sea siren but that turns out science fictiony mm. and that and and it becomes more kind of mangled as it goes to to sort of bash this idea into this hole that it's come out of and so that you can see the brainstorming session of which is it's an alien ship so the, the ship's full of aliens but it's got this medical hologram mm. and the medical hologram's going to look like a siren that haunts the pirates <laughs> and somebody says well she's going to look like an alien and they're like oh so uh <laughs> We'll say that she's got protein circuitry so she can look like human. Fine, exactly. we'll go with that. And, um, and then it's like, well, don't sirens sing? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sire, singing, singing could be an anaesthetic. She's a doctor singing an anaesthetic. We'll go with that. What's she doing? She's delivering an anaesthetic. Of course she is. Of course she is. From a medical point of view, it it really struggles to stand in any kind of logical way. The idea that there's this there's this sort of all powerful medical robot creature woman singing stuff that will basically go after you, anesthetize you, and strap you down if you get a pinprick. She doesn't have any ability to judge the severity of injury. Stub your she toe. Will, she will sniff a droplet of blood. <laughs> And you are off that battlefield into her medical situation, plugged in. At which point, apparently, you can't be disconnected. <laughs> you you are you are knackered at that point. If if you if you get a paper cut, you are in her hospital until the end of time. And she doesn't know how to treat um, you. Yeah. Bit of a design. She doesn't know draw. how to treat you. She can't she can't interact with you. It's, so if she comes up to you and you say, "No, I, I'm fine," <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> But at some point, the doctor goes, oh, sh- show your wedding ring. Sign <laughs> the documents. <laughs> well, that was where you were going. Love, just, love, like, love conquers suddenly, all. Show your James Corden power She'll of love. She'll understand a wedding yeah. ring. She, she's intelligent. She, she'll understand. You can reason with her. Explain, explain to her you're, you're his wife. 
show her the wedding ring, sign the documents. It's like you can't even tell her to leave you alone because you're fine. <laughs> You've just got a splinter. But no, you're done for. And then they put a thing in your neck and a thing in your chest and you're stuck to this bench and you're done. That's you out of Did anyone service. else notice Rory's disappearing tracheotomy? Uh, no, he he's didn't. lying on the gurney oh, with this right. tube in his throat. Mm. But yeah. they they pick him up and get him into the TARDIS, Tim, and Tim, his neck's Tim, perfectly fine. Tim, 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 Tim. Yeah. Is gurney a reference to the smugglers as well? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But that poor kid has to sit there with this tube hanging out of his throat. So, so like, why does why does he end up with it at the end? Why is he the only one that's but there's no explanation for all the other pirates. Right, okay. All the other pirates get their things out of their necks, apparently. Oh, I see. Yeah, he's got a thing in his neck and all the other pirates are fine. Yeah, no, good, good. good for that last no, they don't. The scene. kid the kid is sat there in the in, in the co-pilot seat. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly au okay, navigating amongst the stars mm. with this hairdryer stuck out of his throat. <laughs> but when they whip Rory off, off the hospital bed, the gurney, mm. and get him into the TARDIS, the, his neck's perfectly fine. Mm. The other problem I have with that is that, and I don't normally pick up on <sighs> science fiction details, but it's down to Amy to use her bare hands and brute force to bring him back to life. Yeah. But they've taken him into the TARDIS, the most advanced yeah. spacecraft known to man. It, it is a problem I have with the no, application of, of made-up technology in science fiction, you know? It was a problem... Every, but not only that. The empty child They've already, they've already for... removed Rory from the, the second most sophisticated yes. medical system <laughs> that yeah. they've recently come across, which apparently will do everything except fix you. Yeah, I, 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 and it's just not going to work. That's the other problem. I mean, whatever she's, she's doing there, it's not going to bring him... Out. He's got a lung full of water, yes. lying on his back, having a conversation... Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but apparently something is holding back death, yeah. and he's gargling away, having a chat. And he says, "I'll I'll tell you how to save me." Does the water immediately? Is doesn't. he in a vert? Is it Schrodinger's? Well? I mean, does he the water immediately come back as soon as you disconnect him? It's like he's in this, anyway. I don't really care about that. It's just no. the fact that the doctor stands there in his TARDIS, yes, seemingly unable yeah. to think of anything he might have to hand that could help. Yeah. It's, but like, because like a, because they've like a touch with regeneration because energy, they've decided is... it has to be it has to end with the power of love mm, yes. conquers all is the most powerful healing force in the universe and they work backwards from there but they don't even but you yeah. don't need to take it to the to as if far that's as what, you if you want to do that then don't have it end in the tardis or even on you know have it end somewhere where mm. you explicitly make clear there is no advanced technology yeah well, I, it lost all, I mean I was I was faltering at that point anyway but at the point where I thought oh it's going to do another fake out mm. death. And I've just got to sit here for the next three minutes while they pretend yes, that exactly, he dies, yeah. and then you just wait for him to come back to life. Yes, it doesn't and work the music on any level. Swells and everyone cries, and I think, what are you doing? Mm. Like no one, no one was fooled or cared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is just the law of diminishing returns. It's just. Aliens of London, written by Russell T. Davis and directed by Keith Bowick. Ah. So, Nice man, yeah. Keith. Well, look, here's the thing. In 2005, I nursed this fond thought that perhaps I could encourage Mrs. Smith 
to watch the new series of Doctor Who with me. I mean, it was it was it was undoubtedly populist. It was a Saturday evening kind of thing. You know, we often sit down in front of the television together to watch drama series. It, it this this kind of felt like this might be the time I, I might perhaps engage you in my abiding fandom. And uh, it was looking, you know, possibly promising. And then we sat down together to watch Aliens of London. And unfortunately, the combination of farting aliens and what I might describe as kind of CBBC sort of acting at various stages in in the programme, it broke the spell. She she never watched it since. I mean, she was Uh, never that enthusiastic, it has to be said, but it definitely finished her off in terms of the of the, of the new series so uh, and it didn't really matter that next week uh, or the week after the next was dalek because she wasn't going to be sitting down and watching it so i mean you know so that, you that, have very I, fond memories of it, it, it it's, it's got that it, it <laughs> does have that baggage nonetheless saying all that when i watched it for the second time today it was better <laughs> than i remembered right you didn't get pangs you know, sort of shivers down your spine and sort of like pains in your chest of the memories of what could have well, been well look i'm i'm a geek you know i mean i i've i've watched doctor who for very nearly 50 years now and i never really imagined that it was going to be a thing that anybody else would watch i mean that's not true when i was a boy of course all the other boys and some of the girls watched doctor who but you know since about 1980 it's not been remotely cool and so even though it did become quite cool for a section of the populace in the mid to late 2000s, the Smith household was not one of those places. Well, it was just nice to revisit. It's nice for these to be historical documents now. I've, I've mentioned this in other things I've done. When Emily Cook did the, the Rose tweet along, we, we had a friend staying with us, a disabled friend of ours, who decided to hole up with us during uh, lockdown because otherwise she'd have been on her own and she had never seen Doctor Who before and I did the tweet along for Rose and she she was in watching it and I said so you've never seen Doctor Who before what do you think of that and she said well it was different and I said different to what and she said everything (laughs) and I thought that's a great that's a great description of Doctor Who Uh, and Mm. and she and she wanted to watch some more so I picked a few you know Russell ones that I hadn't that, that hadn't seen for ages and, and worked through the first couple of seasons while she was still with us, and you know so, suddenly looking back at these episodes I haven't seen for a while that I saw so many times when it, they first came out. But I did skip uh, Aliens of London World War Three uh, on that on that occasion. It's it's really interesting now that we can we can look back and and see them through through the lens of what has come since, but also their place in the history of the show. But with that knowledge. And, and that sort of race memory that we have of when they were new and it was all a bit frightening and was Doctor Who going to be successful and oh my God, it was, and it was in this way and that way. And and and, and I, the, the sheer joy of all those different elements means that I know that I'll be able to watch this stuff time and time again for years to come and that fills me with, with great joy. And I also cannot wait until we start being able to properly dig into the history Yes. In in a way that we've 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 only sort of much more recently been able to do with the the, the classic series when when people's livelihoods don't depend on things and when people are just a bit looser tongued or circumspect or whatever and I don't mean in terms of gossip now I just mean in terms of going actually that that didn't work or actually we could have done that a bit differently or or or, mm. or actually he hated him or, or whatever <laughs> yeah but I, as I say I'm not, I, the gossip side is 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 immaterial really I know we all 
sort of that that's that's adds an extra bit of frisson to it. But just in terms of what could have been, what was, what they felt at the time, because we don't really know what they felt at the time, because much of what we've got is through Doc Two Confidential, which would have been stupid if they'd gone. Well, we we didn't think that bit worked. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. that, 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 that would be mad. Yeah. And, and it was great to have Doc Two Confidential and, and to show how the special effects were done, and also to get carried away in the enthusiasm. So so I'm not I'm not dissing Doc Two Confidential. It did what it was supposed to do. But there is there are whole layers of archaeology to be yes. done. And I am thrilled as a boring old fart whose entire life centres around Doctor Who that there's so much of that to uncover. And I, I cannot wait. And watching this story again, well, I've not really... That I thought of as a sort of flawed early entry. It's admirable the amount that they do get right and it's great fun to watch. And some things that bothered me at the time don't really bother... Because history tells us we don't need to be bothered yes. by them. Mm. So then you can just go, oh, well, that's an interesting curio, rather than mm. the series is going to be destroyed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. And and I so I found it a really... I, I watched it in order to do this and was like, oh, well, I better do it then. And came out the other end going, oh, I really enjoyed watching that. It's great. What a lovely note to end on. I often wonder how tempted, if there was ever, there was a notion of being tempted to to call it the Celestial Intervention Agency <laughs> and run with yeah. that whole... Because there's an awful lot of consternation amongst Doctor Who fans about the Doctor working for Division. Hmm. But, you know, you got the... We've talked about it before, but the, the line in The Two Doctors where the Doctor, Patrick Troughton, second Doctor, says... I do jobs for the Time Lords and it's the price I pay for my freedom. It's not a huge extension mm. of that. It, mm. It's just thrown some amnesia in and yeah. and rejigged the timeline a yeah. bit. Mm. But uh, yeah, the, the it, it's the timeless child and the pre-Hartnell doctors that test people. But I, I, they almost feel like either one of those concepts should have been fully explored, but throwing them both in at once kind of... Um, I think people might have been more invested in in the Doctor having a a sort of secret past life to do with Time Lord missions without having to also deal with the idea that the history of 1960s Doctor Who is doesn't start when you thought it started and all of that mm. because that kind of muddied people's objections I suppose because it was sort of too, it was two lots of write, rewriting Doctor Who history yeah. thrown mm thrown at people all in one go and I think um, I think either would have been an interesting and very strong thing to explore on its own it's why I always think it's a shame with um, I forgot which episode it is now but where we had that moment where we could have seen Joe Martin in action mm. uh, as the yes, doctor kind yeah. of thing mm. but then we get Jodie in a different yes. coat and oh, I'm just in, like yes, yes. yeah and it re it really bugged me that because it was that moment when we we could have gone oh I see how this all ties in together now yes. mm. but we've just got a reenactment of it and you don't get the gravitas of the situation of like how Joe's mm. doctor would have dealt with it and yeah. yeah whether or not you know she's a doctor that's part of the division and that that's a pre-Hartnell doctor I don't know or it's a parallel doctor you know whatever you know you could have dropped some really lovely hints to sort of like keep the imagination going because you never really want to sort of answer all the questions because otherwise you know what's the point in calling the show Doctor Who yeah. kind of thing but you know it would have just given enough explanation for the whole timeless child thing because I still don't really grasp the concept of it either yeah it's a shame 
and you know the whole division thing as well like turning Jodie into a weeping angel because they want to call her back I think it's such a great concept that they're using the Doctor in that way still now but then it just never comes to anything and it's always really mm-hmm. disappointing and that's when I look back at certain episodes like Fugitive of the the Jadoon and stuff because I'm like we've got such a great actress that's playing this amazing part and she hasn't been given her time to shine and I really hope at some point maybe even if Big Finish do it at, at some stage to really establish her character because there's so much potential that we just mm. haven't seen but you know mm. there's so much going on with Jodie's regeneration coming up and all that it's so hard to bundle it all together so yeah I don't know because obviously I don't know with the last two episodes that we've got left with Jodie whether or not we'll get any more Joe Martin stuff I don't know but yeah we'll just wait and see but yeah <laughs> I mean I, th- I think she's re- you know her character is reminiscent for me of Michael Jaston you know, and he's revealed yeah. as being yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah, between the two incarnations. Yeah. Thinking, oh, there's, there's, they're going to do something with that, and then that's the last you ever hear of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you, I, just, I, I, you have Joe Martin look at the camera like, yeah, <laughs> like kind of thing. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea, but but, yeah. but where's it where's it going? I mean, I mean, for me, the other, the the third thing in in your in you after your two things, Gav. You know, so so I, I can I can swallow. I think the the Doctor being tied up with the Time Lords. And indeed, that there's pre-Hartnell Doctor. I'd sooner there weren't, but I could live mm. with that. But it's it's the it's the Doctor being special that kind of k- kills mm. it for me in the end. That because you know that that kind of takes away a bit from the fact that he or she has decided to make something of themselves rather than yeah. It, it, again this predestination thing. I suppose mm. that's it. It's the it, it, the Doctor is supposed to be a kind of anti-establishment destabilizing little person who enters these situations mm. and with the skill and knowledge and bravery and nothing else and no weapons that they can they can overcome great odds and as you say we now discover that they're you know the the founder of time lord society and the the reason that the most powerful race in the galaxy has its most powerful physiological asset and mm. the origin of all regeneration energy and all of this stuff and yeah it's uh mm. yeah it's like discovering your main characters jesus <laughs> when you just thought they were columbo <laughs> there is a scene where claire comes in turns and faces a mirror mm-hmm. and she walks towards the mirror puts her head down I think there's a is there a yeah. base in there? Yes, yeah. And then when she and then as the she wings. lifts, mm. oh the wings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. The camera pushes in, and she grows her wings. Yeah. Right, in that shot, the camera is directly facing the mirror, and she walks into shot between the camera and the mirror, right. and there is no camera in the reflection of the mirror, which there would be mm-hmm. because the camera is behind yeah. her. Right, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Watch that scene again. The way it's staged, there is a wall with a mirror, but the mirror is an aperture. It's a window. So the real actor of Claire walks in behind the aperture. A body double walks in front. Ah. So Claire Claire is playing her reflection only. Sorry, I don't know the actual actor's name. And so very carefully in sync, the body double 
and the real Claire put their heads down. They're not quite perfectly in sync, but it's close enough that you don't notice if you're just watching it once. And then the body double steps away and then the camera just shoots her as she stands up and then VFX puts the wings in. But it's very beautifully done and it's very clever. So it's 2013, we're in the run-up to the 50th anniversary. Stephen Moffat's promised more Doctor Who than ever before, uh, although nobody can ever ever find that quote. Our lives are about to be overtaken by the Omni rumour, and we're just into the second half of the Split Series 7. Gary, I think you had some further musings on that thought. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of my fault you're, you're watching this. When we discussed what we might do, I pointed out that I'd never seen this story. Yeah, And this was not out of any kind of moodiness on my point. It's clear I, I was not kind of like off the show in some way because looking at my phone, the best way to find out how you're spending any time now is to look through your camera phone pictures for mm-hmm. any day of the last 15 years. And I can see I was having a nice afternoon out with friends. I obviously missed it. And then I think I got back. And by that point, there'd been a, a bad response to it. So I didn't rush to catch up. And then it was just rolled over with the next episode. But I'd just been on set for Adventure in Space and Time for the ah. magazine. So my fan gene was, was buzzing. I think two days after Akaten was on, I was walking to work, crossing Trafalgar Square to discover them lowering the TARDIS on a crane for the mm. opening scenes of, of the wow. anniversary special. And, and, and everyone was sort of stood around. Oh. So it, it was all sort of going on. And of course, mm-hmm. the Omni rumour was in full flight. Part of that, I think, really spread through a conversation that me and Tom Spilsby had in a Pizza Express. And there was literally someone at the table behind us leaning further and further back. And it was all on, on Outpost Califray the next day. It was literally the conversation where I went... Sorry, what you mean? They found everything. <laughs> so it was all go. I, I was up for it, but I it just kind of it, it passed me by, and it continued to do. And then I kind of liked the idea that I had an episode still to watch, mm. and it sort of kept me warm. And uh, so, but I've spoiled that for this. I've spoiled that for you. Thank you. So it means that this week. I managed to watch a brand new episode of Doctor Who that I largely enjoyed. So that's <laughs> that's 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 something for Easter week. Excellent. I, I always have this thing with, with Doctor Who, if you're a, a lifetime fan, it's like like anything that you love, it's it's like a, th- a, th- a rope back through your life. Everything else, you, you have no influence in the things that change around you, your, your, your friends coming and going, deaths of loved ones, the world itself. But this, this you've got this rope that goes back, and it's a rope that's like, you sort of tap in like a rock climber. You, you, you put in, a, it, it hands there, but every now and again you need a fastening point for it. And it, when you're young, you've got all these great stories or things that you love, and they're all these hard points where your your rope is attached. But if a few years pass and you don't feel you get a point to attach it in, if, if, if it doesn't give you a good like moment, you can, like, um, like when Tom appears in, in the museum... And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, and you're hammering in. <laughs> That's me. I'm a fan again now. And then you start paying out the rope again, waiting for the next, next one. This time and the current era, I kind of feel whenever everyone feels a bit negative about it, they're, they're just a bit lost. They're just like, give me, give me something to believe in. Give me something to mm-hmm. hang on to. So you're not down on it. It's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> mm. It's all fine. But you just want to... <laughs> 
something. Yeah. Nice to see it to have a helicopter. Yeah, yes. the helicopter stunts are awesome. Like mm. I think, like sixties Doctor Who as well. Like they mm. really went all out with their helicopter stunts. Mm. Well, Barry, of course, directed. Yeah, oh, Barry yes. directed End yeah. of the World. Yes. So he was mm. fond of fond of a chopper. For now, for now. Scurrilous rumor. He's a happily married man. <laughs> <laughs>